Hope you'll take your Bibles. We're going to start this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. We are still in our study of Mark, and we will get to Mark 10 shortly. We were going to begin in Hebrews 12, specifically in verses 1 and 2. And it's a passage that most of you are probably very familiar with. But before we read these verses, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let's just remember for a second what comes before Hebrews 12. Do you remember what comes before Hebrews 12? I didn't know if you would get it right or not. It was a math question. Before Hebrews 12, we have Hebrews 11. We read parts of Hebrews 11 just a minute ago. It's this walk through people throughout history who have followed God in faith, many of whom faced difficulties, but yet over and over, through all the trials, we're told that they lived by faith. Examples of people who the things they went through very likely could have turned them away from faith in God, yet they remained faithful. It's a testimony we see over and over, that they believed the promises of God. And it was belief in the promises of God that enabled them to remain steadfast. Let me just say this. If you are at a place this morning where you are tempted to give up, to give up on the promises of God, to give up on the life of faith, can I just encourage you to go home this afternoon and read Hebrews chapter 11. Be reminded of those who have gone before you who have fought who've been faithful. God has honored their faith. Hebrews chapter 11 comes before Hebrews chapter 12. We get this cloud of witnesses and we pick up here in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 with this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So Hebrews 11, we're reminded of all those who have run the race before us and who have by faith in God and through his strength remained faithful. And then we get this command. Let us also, let us lay aside all the weight, the things that would distract us, the things that would pull us away, the things that would take our eyes off Christ. Let's set all those things aside. He says also, set aside that sin which clings so closely. You know that sin in your life? That one that clings so closely? He says, set it aside, lay it aside. This is the command. Put off all the things that would distract you or weigh you down. Lay aside the things that would keep you from running well. Sin is the main thing that will trip us up and slow us down. So we're called to put it away so you can run with endurance. Do you wonder why you lack endurance? Perhaps it's because of the sin that you hang to. That's verse 1. Run with endurance. But then he says this, he tells us what to set our eyes on. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we're in this race. It's a race that we will be tempted to give up. 
on. We'll be tempted to not endure, but he says, set aside everything. And as you run, do this, look to Jesus, the one that has gone before you, the one who has began your faith, the one who can finish your faith. Look to him. Look to Jesus. And in that verse, we have this reminder that not only does Jesus call us to follow him, but he has walked where we have walked. You see that in verse 2? Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. See, not only are we called to a life of sacrifice, but we have a God who came and showed us what that looks like. A God who came and gave it all for us. And because he's done that, we can endure with suffering and hope. It's because of what he has done that we can be sure that even when it's hard, endurance is possible. We can run the race before us knowing that one has gone before us who has accomplished our salvation. Sermon number one. But what does that have to do with Mark chapter 10? Go ahead and start turning there. If you've been with us, then you know that there's been this recurring theme, especially in chapters 8 and 9 and 10 of Mark, Jesus has been reminding his disciples over and over of this, that to follow him is a high and costly calling. We've talked about the cost of discipleship. He wants his disciples to know that following him will take commitment. It will take a life of sacrifice. We saw this very clearly last Sunday. Remember he told us that that there will be those who, because of their commitment to him, will lose houses, And brothers and sisters and mother and father and lands, children. He says so clearly that there will be some who have to give up the things that they have counted most precious. We could go back to chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So we have this common theme. You can go back this afternoon and read chapter 8, 9, and 10. You'll hear this over and over and over. Following Jesus is costly because following Jesus means we have to lay aside everything else. Nothing should capture our affections more than Christ. That's one of the common themes throughout chapters 8, 9, and 10. But there's another one that runs parallel with it. In chapters 8, 9, and 10, we have three times when Jesus announces or predicts his own suffering. Go back to 8.31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And then he talks to them about the cost of discipleship. And then we get back to chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. So two times already Jesus has announced, I am going to suffer, I am going to die. And it's this back and forth. He tells them about the cost of discipleship, and then he announces his own suffering. 
And then he tells them again about the cost of discipleship. And then he tells them of his own suffering. And we come this morning to another one of these sections. This may seem like a mixed bag of an introduction, but I think this is an important foundation that hopefully will make sense as we go. I think at times we can be overwhelmed by the call of Jesus. It is high and costly. It's a daily call to deny ourselves and to look to him. It's this constant recognition that we must value things differently than the world values. It's knowing that we have to make sacrifices and that we may suffer. And so we can feel the weight of all these things and think, how could Jesus call us to so much? And yet, I wonder how often we slow down and remember that the one who calls us is the one who has gone before us and suffered far greater than we could ever suffer. Go back and read these chapters and notice the back and forth. He is not calling his disciples to anything that he has not walked himself. What we're going to see this morning is that Jesus, even as he calls his disciples to give everything, is walking towards the cross. He walked willingly. He walked knowingly. And he never wavered. And what I want to encourage you this morning is to consider as you Take stock of your own life and consider the things that you may need to let go of, the things that you may need to sacrifice in order to have a laser-focused gaze towards Christ. As you consider what the cost is for you, I want you to spend some time this morning with us considering what Christ has done for you. He is our example. He is the one who's gone before us. He is the author and perfecter of our faith, the one to whom we must look. We left off last week, Jesus was telling his disciples of the cost of following him. And now on the heels of that, Jesus demonstrates his own commitment to the work of salvation. So we come to chapter 10, verse 32. Just three verses this morning. Hear the word of God. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, Jesus began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I hope it's your prayer that God would add his blessing to the reading and the preaching of his word to accomplish his will in our lives. So as we started chapter 10, Jesus was leaving Galilee. Remember Galilee is that region up in the northern part of, of the, the land. And this is where Jesus had spent most of his time ministering, but at the beginning of chapter 10, we're told that he left that region. He starts heading south. He goes beyond the Jordan and starts heading into Judea. And what we know, because we know the end of the story, is that he's walking towards Jerusalem. With every step, Jesus is knowingly and willingly walking towards the place 
where he will die. He knows this, and as they're going, he's communicating this to his disciples. We've already seen this. This is now the third time that he's made this announcement to his disciples. They don't understand. They don't have a category for a suffering Messiah. They don't have a concept of a Messiah who dies. But Jesus knows this is why he came, and Jesus knows that Jerusalem is the place where it will come to pass. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that what we have in this text is the example of Jesus as he walks willingly towards the cross. Break down our thoughts this morning into three sections. First, the commitment of Jesus to his mission. Second, the example of Jesus in his suffering. And then third, the hope of Jesus' resurrection. So first, let's consider his commitment to the mission. Verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. May seem like a transition verse, not much happening here, but it's significant. I've already said, Jesus knows that Jerusalem is the place where he will die. With that in mind, he's literally walking the road to his death. But notice what Mark says. Jesus was walking where? Out in front. He's walking ahead of them. It may seem like a small detail, but I think it's a com- significant. It's a, it's a sign of his commitment to the mission. We know from other places in the gospel that Jesus went to the cross willingly, don't we? You can think of John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus says this. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. You can look down the page to Mark 10, 45. Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. No one takes his life. It's given. What we hear from Jesus over and over is this resolve that he will give his life. And I think what we see illustrated here is Jesus' willingness to go, to give. He's not being lured to Jerusalem. He's not being dragged to Jerusalem. He walks willingly. He's not at the back of the group, walking slowly or lagging behind. No, Mark says Jesus was walking ahead of them. He is leading the way. It's a picture of his commitment to the mission of his resolute determination. His face is set towards Jerusalem. Many of you know the book of Isaiah. There's these sections starting in chapter 40 and moving through Isaiah. We have what's often referred to as servant songs. It's where Isaiah writes and it's prophetic and it's almost as if we can hear the voice of Jesus through the prophet Isaiah. One of my favorites is in Isaiah chapter 50 and Isaiah writes this, but hear the voice of Christ here. It says, I give my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. I know that I shall not be put to shame. 
It's a servant of the Lord saying, I know there is suffering ahead. But I set my face like a flint. A flint's a, a hard rock, not easily moved. He says his face is locked in. He won't be diverted from his mission. He's walking forward. Not reluctantly, not lagging behind. And we see it even here as Jesus walks, leading the way to Jerusalem. And then Mark says two things about those who are following him. Jesus is out ahead. He's walking to Jerusalem. It says those who followed him were both amazed and afraid. Now, if you have a study Bible or if you go to a commentary, you'll probably read a conversation. Is this one group or two groups? Perhaps the 12 are amazed and the other followers are fearful. It's hard to know for sure if he's speaking of all of them sharing these two emotions or if there's one group with one set of emotions and another with the other. But nevertheless, we see both amazement and fear as they watch Jesus walk towards Jerusalem. We know the disciples have struggled to understand what Jesus is saying. They've struggled to understand what he's walking towards. But they know it's significant. They know that he's walking. At the very least, they know this. He's walking to a place where more people hate him than like him. As we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, remember several times we've been told that Pharisees and scribes come from Jerusalem to where Jesus is to test him and to try him. This is where they all are, and they keep coming out to him. Now he's going to them. And I think the disciples, even if they don't understand the cross or the suffering that's ahead, they know this. We are walking into the danger zone. And we're told they're amazed. Perhaps they're amazed at the confidence of Jesus as he walks into a place where he may not be welcome. But it's also clear why they would be afraid. Maybe afraid simply of what will happen to him, but most likely also afraid that as those associated with him, they may also be in danger. He has set his face toward Jerusalem and there are those who follow him and they are amazed and they are afraid. As we think about this, I wonder what your reaction is you, as you consider that Jesus, for you and for me, walked toward suffering. I think, sadly, many of us long ago have stopped being amazed. We can sing songs about the cross, we can sing songs about his sacrifice, and be unaffected. We think of the cross as a given. Maybe even as something we were owed or deserved. And we completely forget that Jesus did not have to die. We deserved his wrath, not his love. And yet he came. And he walked toward Jerusalem. Not forced, not taking it against his will. He came and went willingly so that you and I can be forgiven. It's unbelievable. He walked towards Jerusalem, and what's very clear as we keep reading is that he knew exactly what would happen. We see that, don't we? Look at verse 32 again. We're told, taking the 12 again, he likes to do this. He likes to pull in the 12 and to speak to them specifically. 
Taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Saying, seeing we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days he will rise. He knew what he was walking towards. He knew every detail. Let's just consider those details just briefly. It's a story you know well. You may enjoy taking this passage and comparing it to Mark 14 and 15 and seeing how everything lines up just right. Jesus announced his death precisely. First, he says that he will be delivered over to chief priests and scribes. We know that Judas will betray him for 30 pieces of silver and hand him over to the religious leaders, those who have sought for so long to silence him. There will be a trial by night in which he's condemned to death. His own people will condemn him. John says he came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But of course, because the Jews are living under Roman rule, they don't have the jurisdiction to execute him. So the Jewish leaders, after sentencing him to death, they hand him over to the Romans, to Gentiles, to be killed by them. What I hope you're seeing is how well Jesus knew step by step what lay ahead of him. He knew he'd be betrayed. He knew he'd be handed over to the Jews. He knew he would be sentenced to death and handed over to the Gentiles. He knew that he would be mocked, spit upon, flogged, and killed. How did he know these things? Well, I have no reservation saying he knew these things because he's God. But we could also go and we could take each one of these and we could go back to the Old Testament and see how hundreds of years before he was born, these things were prophesied. This plan was set in place. This has been God's plan all along. Jesus knew these things because he's God and he also knew them because he rightly understood the scriptures. We've already mentioned Isaiah 50. You know well Isaiah 53. Consider also Psalm 22. Psalm of David says, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Psalm 22, Jesus quotes it when he's on the cross. He claims it for himself. Long before his birth, His death was foretold. Jesus knew it well. He knew what was coming. And I know this sounds repetitive, but don't miss this. Jesus knew what was coming, and what did he do? He walked towards it. He knew what was coming, and yet he did not flinch. He announced it, and he moved towards it. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was calling his disciples? Do you remember the command he gave them? Follow me, right? Now we see him leading the way, walking towards sacrifice and suffering. And the command's the same, follow me. The command for us is the same. He's saying, follow me. And we recognize that to follow Jesus is to follow him into a life of sacrifice, of suffering. 
The call to follow Jesus is a call to love him and to love others more than anything else. You remember Philippians 2? We sang it earlier. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's God, church. Yet he'd emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was God. Who are you? And yet we try to hang on to something. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the call to love him and others more than ourselves. It's a call to lay aside anything that would keep us from being able to endure. Hebrews 12. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the call. Don't let anything stand in your way. The way of Jesus is hard, so prepare yourself. Rid yourself of sin. Rid yourself of anything that will keep you from being able to run the race. Is that really what's going on here? Is, is, are we really to see Jesus as he walks towards Jerusalem as an example for us? I think we've seen that in Philippians. I think we've seen it in Hebrews 12. Let me give you another passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For it is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is there if, when you sin, you are beaten for it and you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So do you have the, the situation in your mind? There's a man with an unjust master. Jesus says, honor him. Respect him. Now, if you're beaten for doing wrong, there's nothing gained in that. But if when you are doing good, you endure suffering, that's to God's glory. And then he says this in verse 21. For to this you have been called. What? Suffering for doing good. To this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example. So that you might follow in his steps. It's one of those verses I read this week and thought, you know, it should kind of stop me. That's what we see. Jesus has set his eyes to Jerusalem. Jesus is walking towards the cross. And Peter tells us, he suffered for you. You are called to give everything. He's the example. Follow him. Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. Verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. This is our example. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like straying sheep, but now have been returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus never sinned. He endured suffering well. He gave it all. And he is our example. I love, I hope you do this as you read the epistles of John or Peter. To remember that these guys were with Jesus. That Peter was there and he saw Jesus die. He watched as Jesus suffered without reviling or threatening. He watched as Jesus gave himself, trusting fully in the plan of God. And of course, we know Peter was in this group in Mark 10. And he heard Jesus before the fact prophesy of what would happen. He heard Jesus say what would happen before it happened. And then Peter watched, and he didn't know at the time, but no doubt he could look back and remember. Jesus told us what was going to happen, and he walked towards it. He led the way. He never flinched. Have you ever wondered why the disciples were willing to give everything? Why were they willing to sacrifice it all? I think it's in large part because they saw with their own eyes the example of Christ. And so now for us, if we want to be faithful as they were, what must we do? We have to look to Christ and never forget what he endured for us. He has gone before us. We've seen the commitment of Jesus to his mission and the example of Jesus in his suffering. Here's the last thing I want us to consider this morning, the hope of resurrection. We've read it several times. Hopefully you've noticed this. In Jesus' prophecy here, he says, they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Earlier, I took you to John 10 and I just read it and I put part of it on the screen, but you didn't see it all. Jesus says in John 10, that no one takes my life from me. Let me read it. It says, For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. And here's what I want you to consider, church. That Jesus walked towards suffering, but Jesus knew that suffering was not the end. Jesus walked towards the cross knowing that He was walking for the joy set before him. And we've spent now 30 minutes or so, and I've told you that we must walk the way Jesus walked. We must give all as he gave all. But let me remind you, we don't suffer for the sake of suffering. We suffer for the sake of Christ, and we suffer knowing that there is more. There is hope. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And if we endure, if we fix our eyes on him, we walk after him, we too will be with him in eternity. Death will be followed by resurrection. Death will be followed by joy. 
And this is what we saw last week. Last week we considered the sacrifice of following, but then the hope that we gain as we follow. Just go back a few verses to verse 29. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. We considered this carefully last week that as we follow Christ, there will be sacrifice. We may have to let go of things, even things we consider dear. But the promise is that it will be worth it. We may lose our lives, but we have the hope of eternal life. We may not get all the world says that we should want, but we will get all of this and more in the life to come. Jesus told his disciples that they should be willing to give it all. Maybe last week you thought, that is a hard saying from Christ. Well, consider this, that he told them you may have to give it all, and then in the next breath, he begins to tell them, but I will give it all for you. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He walked knowingly and willingly towards the cross. He does so knowing the joy that is set before him. We know that what Jesus says in Mark's 10, 32 through 34 happened. Now, some will suggest that Mark looked at the end of the story and he brought this back and attributed this to Jesus. I don't believe that for a minute. I think Jesus knew exactly what he was going towards. He knew exactly. Jesus knows all. He knew he would be delivered to chief priests and scribes. He knew he'd be condemned to death and handed over to the Gentiles. He knew he would be mocked and spit on and killed. And he knew he would rise again. Everything he said happened. And the same is true of all things that Jesus says. His words are true. It's true that all who repent and believe in him will be saved. It's true that there's only one way to eternal life. It's through Jesus. It's true that all who follow him will suffer loss in this life. But it's also true that all who follow him will gain much more than they lose. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted him. Can I appeal to you? God himself came to earth and walked towards the cross. He died. His blood was shed so that you could be forgiven. He rose again so you have the hope of eternal life. But I know most of you are here and you have trusted him, but I fear that many of us are slow to live for him fully. There are things that we love more than him. There is sin that we cling to. Can I encourage you to consider his example? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider him so that you may not grow weary and so that you may not grow faint-hearted. I pray that this week you would look to Jesus and his example would encourage you to obedience.